So uh, the week before uh, last, I was on a residential week as part of the Arrow Leadership Programme. And one of the days was on personal evangelism. Not how to help your congregation to share their faith, although that is coming, you have been warned, uh, but how to grow in sharing your faith as an individual. Now, I love talking about how I've experienced the transforming love of God in my life and the difference that knowing Jesus and knowing that I'm known by him makes. However, I still, like I suspect most of us, find it much easier to talk about the difference the lovely new coffee machine in the church kitchen is making to my life than to talk about the difference faith in Jesus makes. When I was at Theological College, I was really challenged by an observation someone made that they'd had more conversations that had led to someone to, that had led the person they were talking to to consider replacing their PC with a Mac than they had conversations that led to someone exploring faith in Jesus. Somehow sharing the difference, discovering a particular product or a particular methodology, how to reach inbox zero daily or fold the laundry in such a way that it irons itself, I'm not sure if that one actually exists, uh, makes to your life. It's much easier to talk about these things than the difference Jesus makes. So one of the things we were practicing on Arrow was sharing our story, sharing the story of the difference God has made in our lives. Not so that we do that in every single conversation that we have, but also so that we don't not ever do that. You can work out the, uh, the don'ts and the nots. Um, and what we noticed as we heard each other's stories was that there were some common phrases. There was a time in my life when, but then... And I discovered that. And it struck me that this is what we have in the encounters with Jesus here in Matthew 9, verses 18 to 26. Uh, If you've not got it open or up in front of you, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, I think it's 974 if you're in the church Bibles. So let's look together at the three stories of encountering Jesus that Matthew records. Firstly, we have the synagogue leader who kneels at Jesus' feet, asking Jesus to come to his house and bring his daughter, who has has died, back to life. That's verse 18. Jesus and the disciples go with the synagogue leader to his house, verse 19. Uh, He takes the girl by the hand and she gets up, verse 25. So the synagogue leader's testimony might have been, there was a time in my life when my daughter died and we were all mourning. But then I heard about this man called Jesus who had amazing power to perform miracles. And I went to him believing he could do a miracle for my daughter. And I discovered that he did indeed have authority over death. So that's the first story of the difference encountering Jesus made, uh, the story for the synagogue leader. Second story. We have the woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years, who touches the edge of Jesus' cloak and is healed, verses 20 to 22. Her testimony might have been, there were 12 years of my life when I was excluded and isolated because of my bleeding. But then I heard about this man called Jesus who had the power 
to heal sickness. And I moved through the crowd and I came up behind him and I touched his cloak. And I discovered that he could indeed transform my life. So that's the second story of the difference encountering Jesus made. And finally, third story. We have the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, verse 23, who laugh at Jesus when he says, the girl is not dead but asleep, verse 24. Only for the girl to get up when Jesus takes her by the hand. What might their testimony have been? Perhaps something like, we were mourning in the customary way, loud and public. The greater your mourning, the more flute players you had. But then Jesus appeared and said the girl was not dead but asleep. And we laughed at him. And then Jesus raised her from the dead. And this news spread through all the region. We did not have faith. But now we don't know what to think. Maybe that would have been the testimony of the crowd. In these encounters, we meet Jesus, the Lord of life, who longs to be in our lives and to bring us life. If you're looking for a sentence summary of today's sermon, I'd like to suggest that's probably it. Jesus is the Lord of life. He longs to be in our lives and bring us life. So what do we learn from these encounters about the life Jesus brings and the faith that receives it? Before hand sanitizer, washing machines and ventilation systems and without the advances in medicine we have today, the main ways to prevent contamination were through what we have come to know as social distancing and self-isolation. Bleeding and a dead body would have both been considered unclean in the sense of being potential sources of contamination. And therefore, contact with either would have necessitated the following of purity rituals, bathing, washing clothes, and staying apart from society until the next day. Whilst the, synagogue's leaders, uh, the synagogue leader's daughter has died, the woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years was also, in a sense, not living. She would have had to keep a distance from society. Jesus, the Lord of life, brings both individuals life. The synagogue leader's daughter is brought back to life from death, and the woman who has been bleeding is given new life by being able to reintegrate into society. And in both instances, there is physical contact, the very thing that should make Jesus unclean. The woman touches the edge of Jesus' cloak and Jesus takes the girl's hand. Notice that I said should have made Jesus unclean. Because rather than Jesus becoming unclean through his contact with the two individuals, they become clean through their contact with him. The girl is no longer dead but alive and the woman is no longer bleeding but healed. They are no longer in categories considered unclean. To illustrate this, it would be a little bit like if instead of being traced as a close contact of someone with COVID and having to go into isolation as well, the reverse happened. And the infectious individual through their contact with you was no longer infectious. Jesus, 
the Lord of life, has authority over death and sickness and all that separates us from God. In these encounters, we have a foreshadowing of Jesus' death and resurrection, of God's salvation plan for his world, when Jesus will win the victory over sin and death and all that destroys the life that God intended for his people. In the company of Jesus is life. Look back a few verses to verse 15, where in response to the Pharisees' question on fasting, Jesus replies, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? In the company of Jesus is life. Jesus has won the victory over all that destroys the life that God intended for his people. What's going on is more than the miracle of a girl being brought back to life from death and more than the miracle of a woman being healed. It's the transforming power of God at work rescuing and saving his world. The wailing crowd of mourners are not recipients of a miracle and yet they too encounter the life Jesus came to bring. Whether they respond or not, we don't know, but they too in this story encounter the life Jesus came to bring. I wonder if we might just notice a few things about the faith of the synagogue leader and of the woman. Both have done things they shouldn't have done according to society's norms. The synagogue leader would have been expected to conduct himself in a measured way, not to rush into Matthew the tax collector's home and throw himself at Jesus' feet, begging Jesus to put his hand on his daughter's dead body. The synagogue leader, even under these circumstances, would have been expected to conduct himself in a very measured and dignified way. The synagogue leader's faith is expressed not just in his words, come and put your hand on her and she will live, but in the social norms that he breaks in order to say these words to Jesus. The synagogue's leader's faith is not just expressed in these words, but in the social norms that he breaks in order to say these words to Jesus. He recognises his need of Jesus and he humbles himself. He puts aside his pride and trusts in the transforming power of Jesus, where all that is needed is for him to submit and surrender to Jesus. Nothing he can do can bring his daughter back to life. But Jesus can. Similarly with the woman. She shouldn't have been in the crowd trying to get to Jesus. And she certainly shouldn't have touched Jesus. Yet such is her faith that Jesus will heal her. She ignores all the cleanliness regulations and touches the edge of his cloak. By pushing her way through the crowd to get to Jesus, she would have made all those people in the crowd unclean. Her faith in Jesus to heal was such that it outweighed any fear she had. It's also worth noticing that in both situations, the synagogue leader and the woman are the instigator of the encounter, and Jesus responds to them. Following the synagogue leader to his house and turning to see the woman. Jesus, the Lord of life, responds to those who come to him in faith, who recognise their need of him and long for his healing touch on their lives. 
So having looked at these encounters with Jesus, I wonder if I might invite us to think about our own stories of encountering Jesus, the Lord of life, who longs to be in our lives and bring us life. Here we have the example of faith of two individuals whose situation should be far away from Jesus and Jesus from them to avoid ritual uncleanliness. And yet their faith enables them to come close, to not care about social norms they should care about, cleanliness regulations they should care about. Because they've realised that Jesus is the one who saves and rescues from all that takes away life. And that's all that really matters. Jesus is the one that rescues from all, saves and rescues from all that takes away life. And that's all that really matters. I don't know about you, but I recognise in myself that I don't always live in the freedom of someone who belongs to the Lord of life. I often try to uh, save myself, and if none of my solutions work, then I run and throw myself at the feet of Jesus. I don't always live in a place of humble submission and surrender, Sometimes my pride stops me reaching out to Jesus and inviting Jesus to minister to me. And sometimes my fear is greater than my faith. If I were the synagogue leader in Matthew 9, there'd probably be an additional paragraph between verses 18 and 19, where I think through the detail of going to Matthew's house and kneeling at Jesus's feet, where I consider all of the what-ifs. I hope I'm not alone in some of these things. So this morning, I'd like to invite us to spend a short time reflecting on what it means for Jesus to be the Lord of life, the life Jesus brings, and the faith that receives it. And there are three uh, strands of um, reflection, and take whichever one or none of them uh, is uh, helpful to you. You may like to consider where you see yourself in the story or to put yourself in the place of one of the characters in the story and imagine what that might be like. Uh, I just shared with you how I put myself in the place of the synagogue leader and I think I would have done a lot more thinking and a lot more questioning uh, before uh, going to Jesus in faith. So you might like to do that, to put yourself in the story. I wonder also whether you might like to reflect on the obstacles that might be in the way of you reaching out to Jesus and inviting him to minister to you, to touch your life. Again, I've described some of the obstacles that I know stop me reaching out to Jesus and inviting him to minister to me. Things like pride, shame, fear. You might like to reflect on the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, how they encountered the new life Jesus came to bring as onlookers in the story. Back to where I began. Do our stories witness to the life Jesus brings? There was a time in my life when, but then, and I discovered that. So let's spend some time in reflection now.